hello, it's Lou Peck here from the International Brunch. Welcome to our first ever podcast for the Inspiring the Next CMO podcast series. This is our Behind the Fluff podcast specifically for marketeers. What are we going to be talking to Wayne Syme about today? Well, Wayne Syme, who is a CEO of a professional member body, is going to talk to about his love of Terry Pratchett. We're going to talk about Henry VIII. We're going to talk about how Wayne went up the ranks from starting in IT to then libraries to then um, a professional member body. And then also we're going to talk about a favourite word of Wayne's, which is gadding about, or gadding anyway. But we are going to be gadding about at conferences, I'm sure, very, very soon. So why don't we just get stuck in? Let's go. Okay, welcome everybody. This is the first ever podcast that we're having for Behind the Fluff, our new podcast. And we've got this absolutely brand new series, which is called Inspiring the Next CMO. I am absolutely delighted to have Wayne Stein with me. Wayne is a chief executive in the industry and I've known Wayne um, for several years now and he's absolutely brilliant. Um, so hello, Wayne. Hi, Lou. Nice to be here. <laughs> Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to run through a series of questions and um, you're going to answer those and hopefully people will be able to have some nice takeaway advice but also get to know you better. So, should we just begin? Sounds good to me. Right, great. Okay, so the first thing that I'm actually going to ask you is um, a couple of icebreaker questions. And um, the first one is we have a campaign that we send out every day, a word of the day, and it's under the hashtag, hashtag intbunch word of the day. Now, my question to you, the first one ever, is what is your word of today and what does it mean? It's your favourite word. Well, the favourite word when I looked at um, what you've been sending out was gather about. And I just think after lockdown, I'm hoping we're all going to be like social butterflies and going to flit from one social event and activity to another. So I oh. chose gather about because I think that's something we all will want to do. And who knows, after, um, yes, after we've been gadding about for, I don't know, probably a month, we might think, oh, I wish I could be sick, you know, back in front of the TV watching box sets. Who knows? But anyway, that's Netflix my... Um... <laughs> and any other streaming service out there. Oh, absolutely. I miss social networking face-to-face -face so much. Can't Yes. Um, brilliant. Okay. And so what's the best thing that you have discovered in the last year well in the last year i mean i do i do like walks i have to say and we have um uh, we've got a dog tally and um by just by it's only about probably i don't know 15 minutes walk actually from my front door there's uh, a wood martin's wood and um, we discovered the bluebells and um, it was just very i don't usually use a magical enchantment but literally took me back to my childhood it was just simply as far as the eye could see completely covered in bluebells so i think that was um Yes, that was the best thing I discovered during lockdown. Yes. That's so lovely. They they don't last very long, do they? They've... They don't. We did take pictures on the cameras and stuff. So, um, yeah, no, it was just, it was just, yes. Yeah, so when we were all sort of shut in, it was that first lockdown period. And you were just thinking, you know, life was a bit, yeah, pants, wasn't it really? It um, was really pants. <laughs> and, and just for those who are in the US and thinking, why are we saying the word pants? It is a very... Uh, UK centric saying and of course <laughs> pants in the US is trousers whereas <laughs> pants in the UK is knickers 
or <laughs> underpants. <laughs> oh, well, I think we should say, let's keep it. I was going to say, let's keep it with the American understanding. Trousers sounds far more better, doesn't it, really? It was trousers. It does. Oh, brilliant. Okay, so so, uh, who inspires you? Well, I think people at different points in your life, I think. I I don't think it's necessarily, and I think you can take inspiration from a a variety of different people. And I would say over the um, last year, I would say it was um, Captain Sir Tom Moore. I mean, Mm. wasn't it it just really inspiring in our our moments of when we're all feeling really quite down? And I think the fact that he had that service from from the Second World War and at his age. So, yes, that was the person who really um, inspired me recently. But as I said, you get inspiration from many different people, I think, over your lifetime, but that's the most recent. Absolutely, and that's the way that you keep on learning as well and progressing. And, um, yeah, what an incredible, incredible man he was Mm. and how many other people who were of similar age to him he also inspired to do similar thing. So if um, if you haven't heard of Sir Tom Moore, he was um, uh, a very well-loved man in the UK who, um, who had his 100th birthday and he wanted to do a challenge before his 100th birthday, which was to do, I think it was to do 100 laps of his garden. In his oh, it was, and he raised over £32 million. Pounds for the it NHS. was amazing for the NHS, for the National Health Service here in the UK. Mm. I mean, he, it was incredible. And then unfortunately, um, uh, not very long ago, he passed away from um, pneumonia and COVID, unfortunately. Um, so a bit of a sting in the tail. But yeah, what an incredible man. And my even my three-year-old knows who he is and knows mm. that he passed away. And I hope she'll always remember him. Yeah. Um, well, I love that. Um, so when you were young... Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. <laughs> All that time ago. Head. <laughs> yeah, isn't it for us all? Um, I've got visions in my head now of uh, of you in some kind of um, little um, outfit. So, <laughs> what did you want to be? I'm thinking like Superman or something. Oh, I was going to say that's a very disturbing thought. Um, <laughs> well, when I was younger, I was uh, I did reflect on this. I mean, I actually wanted to be going to be an explorer. But I remember Ooh. seeing like all these images and map, you know, the map of all the world and images in books of far-flung places and I just thought oh it'd be great to go and explore so when I was very young I just wanted to I don't want to explore it wasn't like I wanted to climb Mount Everest or anything like that I just wanted to go and you know explore the world that's how I would put it it wasn't like I wanted to go yes to Antarctica or anything like that but I I was yeah that's what I wanted to do. Well who knows where your adventures would take you Wayne could have taken you anywhere. Well, indeed. Well, I mean, when I, I was fortunate when I was a teenager that we did a youth exchange um, with Northamptonshire Association of Youth Clubs, did an exchange with Hong Kong Federation of Youth Clubs. And um, yes, went out to Hong Kong and that's where I met my future wife. What can I say? So uh, there you go, you see. So, yeah. It was meant to happen. Fate. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, funny, I was thinking about your wife this morning when I first met you at, um, well, not first met you, but first met her at the uh, Alps Conference Dinner and what a lovely, lovely person she is. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you were to have dinner tonight with anyone in the world, whether they are alive or dead, so from any time, who would it be? 
I think if I was live or dead, I think what who I would choose would be, it's going to sound a bit random, but I would actually choose a Tudor monarch. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, um, preferably it would be Henry VIII before he had his riding accident when he was stable and not a despot and a tyrant. But I mean, I actually think I love that period of history. Um, and I think it's it's because obviously at that time it was, was England, Wales and Ireland, but they had yeah. the vision of how they wanted the country to be. I mean, they, it was really, uh, you know, insignificant little islands really off the north of France. They weren't really a major powerhouse. And I just think it's just, you know, the values that we have actually today, I think can be stemmed back to that particular period of time, whether you like them or not, you know? I mean, Henry VIII had his first Brexit. What can we say? So, you know. <laughs> Well, he, did a, he did a lot more than Brexit. He did a lot more than Brexit. But yes, his break from Rome and all of that. So, but you know, I think that would be. I think it would be quite a mentally stimulating evening. And um, I would certainly be like, a lot of food. A lot of food. Be and a I big like, feast. <laughs> and I would just like to get behind, you know, some of you know what. what made them tick mm. what made them want to obviously they'd just come out of a uh, 100 year civil war and things like this so i imagine yeah. that sort of colored their judgment a lot about how they wanted to unite the country and move things forward but i think that would be quite an interesting an interesting evening that's why that's who i would choose fantastic i love that and i did not know i i i was not very good at paying attention at school so I did not know um, that he had a riding accident. So I'm actually going to look that up because oh. now I'm older. Um, educationally, I'm a lot better and I've done a lot better for myself <laughs> than when I was younger and I didn't want to go to school. Oh, I think well, it, well, I won't go, won't go too much of a spoiler, but basically the first part of his reign, he was very sane, he was very statesman-like and all that kind of thing. Had a terrible riding accident and he, his leg never healed. And then he basically became a dictator and a despot, basically. So it was like a, a monarch of two halves, really. But anyway, you read up about I it. Will. I will. definitely encourage it, yes. That sounds fascinating. I would definitely look that up. Oh, I always loved history at school. Always loved oh, history. Yeah, I just love going out. Um, <laughs> you probably had more fun <laughs> I had a lot of fun thanks yeah yeah I did <laughs> but then I got sent back to England from Malta to have an education so you know <laughs> there are consequences um, okay so tell me about your career and how you got to where you are today being um, CEO Okay, well, I actually started work um, in the late 80s, and I began actually as a trainee computer operator. I mean, initially, when, you know, back in the 80s, as it were, if you could guess for those who can remember that far, I was asked actually talking about time. Before we went into COVID, I actually, I was at a, at a conference and um, uh, when we were having like, you know, you have like the, the discussions afterwards in the small groups. And this lady asked me, did I remember the 90s? I mean, it made me feel like 110. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Do you remember the 90s? As if that was like... <laughs> <laughs> you know, last century. Anyway, I digress. Um, but yes, no, I started in there. And, and at that time, you know, IT was really, I know it's hard to imagine, but it was really cutting edge, really exciting. It's where it was all, you know, the cool kids wanted to hang out type of scenario. So um, yes, so I was very much drawn and um, to that area. And I was very fortunate because I remember at the time they had 
and this, uh, you know, I, I think probably shows a bit of the thinking. There were 300, I found out there were 300 applicants for that one job. And um, when we went to the um, final interview, there was three of us. And one of them had a HND in computer studies. And then there was another one who'd had experience, three years experience. And there was me, who, this was my first job. You know, it wasn't me and I had no experience at all. And I got it. And I remember, you know, after I was made permanent, I got my feet under the table. I remember asking the computer operations manager, you know, why did you pick me? And um, he made a, he made he made two points. His first one was to say he didn't want somebody telling him how to do the work. He wanted to tell them how to do it, which <laughs> I thought was <laughs> I thought it was um, an interesting um, take on management. <laughs> the second point was that um, in because how it, how things were evolving, that the computer operations, the computer staff, the, tech, the technology staff had to integrate more with the business. And when you looked at the people that were employed in IT, they didn't really have very good communication ability. And yeah. so he said, I wanted somebody who didn't know anything about IT. And I wanted somebody who was a really good communicator. So that's why you got the job. So that always stuck with me, actually, right at the beginning. So, um, uh, yes. So I think having good communication. But anyway, I stayed there. And also, pre- his management style stuck with you, too. <laughs> yes, it did, indeed. Yes, you have to somehow, yes, have a bright light, but probably don't, you know, don't burn too brightly, or as it might, in, yes, upset others. But um, basically, I was then promoted. You had trainee operator, computer operator, advanced operator, and I just went up um, through the ranks. And then they had a, a big a reorganization within the company and um and it was moving about 100 miles they were, they were, they were malcolmating things but there was this opportunity that came up for senior archivist and what they wanted was it was a disaster recovery site but they also had they wanted to centralize their archive and create a kind of information um service because they had 132 constituent building societies and they want to bring it together and they did have qualified archivists and information professionals but they hadn't got anybody with technical skills and because this was now the 90s shall we say go to the 90s and um and they really wanted somebody who could sort of oversee that and really bring that you know into the what they would say the 20th century as it were And um, and they they advertised at the time through the Library Association, and they you know they used all their normal channels, and they couldn't find somebody with the technical skills, and to you know to head up this this service. So I applied, and I got the job. And I remember then I contacted the Library Association, and the woman at the end of the phone was horrified that I was in a professional post, and yet I wasn't qualified. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely what do you mean you're heading up one of the world's largest building societies information service and you're not qualified um but anyway (laughs) excuse me that's um that's another story and um, so I said to him well actually I am interested in qualifying and I said I have got you know I really like um, people in the information side and technology side. So I did then do my qualification through Aberystwyth University Distance Learning and become a a proper, you know, qualified librarian. What can I say? So well, um, that makes me very proud. As currently chair of Silip Cymru Wales Committee, um, and uh, living in Wales, and the company, this the international branch is Welsh. I am very, very proud that you went to Aberystwyth. Very yes. proud. But obviously not so proud of the Library Association at the time, the predecessor to Silip, sort of. <laughs> 
not so enamoured that I wasn't, you know, how dare you get that post? Anyway. Um, well, that was so the 90s. It was the 90s. Your things have moved on now. It's, it's yes, a different whole thing. Things are slightly thing. different. Different. But I have very fond memories of Aberystwyth. I will say that. It was, it was a really... It was a great place and mm. had a lot of fun and learned a lot. It was it was a, no really really. I, good I went there a couple of years ago actually to the university to go and see the library team there and it, it's um it's a part of Wales. I don't because I'm down south in Wales. I don't really go um, up north or just because my work doesn't take me that way. But um, mm. we are going to go there on holiday because it's really lovely and Aberystwyth itself is a is a beautiful coastal town. Mm. Um, the buildings there are much better than they are here in uh, Swansea. <laughs> no, I can I definitely highly recommend it. So I, I basically, so yes, that's that's what I was doing. So I was doing a qualification and then, and I worked on some really good projects as well. I mean, I have to say that the good thing of working for a large financial institution was that the training opportunities. I mean, you know, they did put on an awful lot of, especially when you got on your first manager's position, there was an awful lot of training. I remember the time they had these things called toddy courses, technology operations develops you, T-O-D-Y, you And then you had all these kind of, you'd have like a, a week's course and then you'd go back out into across the business. And and so it was it was a very good sort of learning experience. That's how, how I would put it. But yep. I did want to do, it wasn't so much about, I think things were changing, well, they were changing a lot in finance and there was a lot of sort of, I mean, I'm not saying you could see the, the, um, the crash coming, but there was a difference between, there was a very much a push towards sales. And I'm not saying there's always necessarily a prob- uh, problem with that, but I yeah. think there was also a lack of oversight. I think that was the same across majority of financial institutions. Do you see what I mean? I think it was more yeah. push fail and there wasn't that kind of, but now of course things have, uh, have, have changed again. But I really wanted to do, I don't know, something a bit more meaningful, I think. I think I came to that yeah. point where I'd done the IT, I'd done, you know, I sort of found and I sort of finding what I was enjoying. And it was having satisfaction I mean, I wanted to progress and reach my potential and, and move up through the management lines, but I also wanted to do something more meaningful. So this opportunity came up in the NHS and they wanted a knowledge and library service manager to run two medical libraries, three community resource rooms um, across um, Northamptonshire. And uh, I thought, hmm, that sounds, that sounds interesting. So I applied and yet again, it was interesting. I think having the IT background, I think yeah. having worked in a major financial institution, I think you were bringing something and you were a qualified librarian by then, can I say, and also chartered. So, yes. you know, I was, the, yeah. I was the proper package as it were. Um, so um, yes, I, I got that and working in the NHS, this is now, we're now into the noughties now, we sort of moved into this period of time. And there was a lot of investment happening in the public sector at that time. And and I found that this is, and I don't know if this is just peculiar towards the NHS, but you, there were so many of these like big projects happening. Yeah. And I was very much about the fact that, oh, I'd like to get involved with that. So for example, they had for the area of working in Leicester and Northampton Rutland Strategic Health Authority, they, they didn't actually have an overall library lead. So I said, well, I can do that. So I was happy, you know, we, we worked across the areas. I'm happy to go and represent us okay. in London and work at those kind of things. And then, for example, they had the Agenda for Change project, which was the largest project to looking at, at, at banding staff. And yet again, they wanted wow. somebody from the management staff to do that. 
And, you know, I, I was very happy to get involved, obviously, you know, doing the day job as well. But there was a lot of opportunities to sort of um, get involved with some real sort of big projects. And I think that's really helped and equipped you for the next stage. I mean, overseeing also a brand new library build, um, combining the two libraries together, um, a massive new education uh, centre, Prince William Education Centre we launched. Um, so there were some really big um, projects as well. So it gave you a lot of, mm. I, I suppose what it is, it's it's sort of, I mean, this I suppose is, is the bit that we're getting to is is the fact that you, you want to, I don't know, I suppose when those opportunities come, you want to explore them and I think you want yeah. to put yourself, but it, it wasn't like, I was, it wasn't just the learning, it was I generally wanted to do it as well. Do you know what I mean? They were good projects yeah. to get involved with. I was genuinely interested and um, want, wanted to move, you know, that, that way. And I introduced into the NHS the um, e-resources, which now, of course, people just, you know, you just take it for granted. But at the time, it was told it was too difficult. There were too many technical reasons. Publishers are really difficult to deal with, you know. I was being told all this kind of stuff and, you know, trying to get the right licences and deal with that kind of stuff. So we managed to get... that They had got some kind of CD-ROMs and that type of thing in base. but CD-ROMs? CD-ROMs. Wow. They, they had networked resources sort of on site, which we actually get remote access resources. I mean, that's what you needed. Um, yeah. So I, well, I did manage to um, uh, to introduce that. And then we worked on a project with Trent and South Yorkshire and Leicester and Sampton Rutland. And that then was the rock for, you know, the National Electronic Library for Health. That's where it wow. sort of, it sort of gained momentum. And so, yes, I worked from there till about 2006. And then I was... Um, Yes, a director's position came up at the Royal Society of Medicine and it was basically, well, we'd like you to do what you've done there, come and do it for us kind of scenario. Yeah. And um, yes, and I was, um, yeah, I went to work there at a director's position yet again, very good experience of getting, you know, charity director, sitting on the board, yeah. being responsible for a budget, 1.5 million, all of that. And then, um, yes, here I am as chief executive out. So I hope yeah. that, I know too no, long, fabulous. but that's, I and I think there's, there's some really important takeaways from that. And like you said, it's about um, exploring the opportunities that you have, but also it's about, I think, what you've demonstrated is how you've got involved and proactively got involved in certain projects that are like stretch projects in a way mm -hmm. that have been able to get that have enabled you to have those opportunities. And that's really important. And also in the terms of you started off um, in IT. And then yeah. you went on to information um, professionalism and then found that that was an area that you really liked, then how you could grow into that area. And yeah. now, of course, um, once a librarian, always a librarian. Um, now, um, being CEO of ALPS, which is a membership body for, um, for learned publishers and society publishers, that's a really interesting place for you to be sitting and I think that's a very valuable place for someone with your background and your expertise to be sitting from a librarian perspective and um, mm. to be helping to to be helping publishers for example in societies. Yes because very much I mean you know also I was a learned society and the fact of it yeah. and so therefore I, yes I have sort of first-hand knowledge of yeah. what that's like and I think that as I always say in Alps you know we are the good guys of publishing as it were you know the non-for-profit we are the ones that are um, helping those yeah the learned societies the university presses um, yeah. to get that um, good quality content out 
and 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 obviously the you know the threats from how can I say Google, Facebook, and all the local social media. I mean, they have their advantages, but also yeah. we want to make sure they've got the quality. I suppose that's yeah, it's that authoritative, isn't it? Yeah, it's the quality. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. So what? So in terms of like what you spoke about, what have you been most proud of? Um, I can honestly say in each, I won't go through it, but in each job I could say something that, you know, I thought that was a really good project to be involved with. But I think the, um, because it had more of a knock-on effect because it was transformative, I would actually say introducing electronic resources into the NHS was even at a local level, you know, that then was was like a trigger for other involvements. And once you can see that is possible, oh, this is, this can be, then obviously it then you know opened up um, so that probably had the biggest the biggest impact of yeah. it so I always think it's like that. but yet again we go back in in you know when I go back in time I remember 2012 because obviously it was the Olympics and one of the things I had to do when I was director of library services we had um, um, uh, like student medical student day if you see what I mean and we yeah. had um, Harveen Kumar who was president of Royal Society of Medicine and also been president of the BMA and if you don't know she wrote um, clinical medicine which is like the new testament of, of medicine do you see what I mean yeah. and she was there so of course there was masses of medical students all around and so I was remember at the time I was sort of saying to them about you know saying about the services we offer and stuff like this and then pointing out at the time about the databases at that point Medline only went back to 1948 that was as far as back it went and then you had to like use index medicus you know you had to point them to these volumes and I remember the the they're absolutely horrified at the fact that, you know, this person had to look at this um, thing, I think it was uh, um, uh, in Bones, they had to look at back in the 1930s, and they had to look at this, and, and, and they couldn't believe that e-resources had only been in the NHS for about 10 years, and it was like, yeah. well, what did they do beforehand? And it was like, well, they had those paper journals and paper books, but I always think it's, going back yeah. to the, suppose the IT side, it's, it's amazing how developments happen, and then it becomes part of everyday life and you just can't imagine life before it what what were they called those printers i mean i remember the printers when i was early on in school those printers yeah those yeah so i remember that my brother was at boarding school um uh, in a different area to me because my parents are divorced and um i remember him sending me a message and printing it's a bit like a typewriter doesn't it the printer Um, but yeah, I mean, technology is is has gone on so quickly. It's it's absolutely insane. And actually, what I love is um, when, for example, um, publishers like Bloomsbury, for example, when they um, work with private collectors who have their own library collections and they digitise that content. And I remember talking to them a few years ago about a project that they were doing and that they were doing a digitization of some um, medical books that were from um, that were from the Middle East, I think, and how advanced that those were from the Middle East compared to where we were in the Western side. And uh, just the content that they were digitizing was absolutely amazing incredible and to now be able to have access to that kind of content and as time goes on more things are digitized and we can access more things you know from our computers or our mobile devices incredible mm. um so what is your ultimate career goal then wayne 
ultimate career What I would say is, this is going to sound a bit so sweet, but I think it's, I would say it was fulfillment. I think to know, I think the driver within me has yes. always been to, I suppose it's that, dare I say, that inner explorer. I suppose that's a bit where you want to go out and explore the world, but also, you know, yourself and to reach, I suppose, your full potential. And yes. I think it's, I mean, one of the pieces of advice I was given early on by actually the person who mentored me during my chartership. And she'd become like the principal librarian of public libraries in Northamptonshire. And she yeah. was at that time in her kind of um, mid 30s. But she was trying to actually get out of public libraries into it, still want to be in libraries, but in a different sector. But she was finding it really, really difficult. And she sort of basically said, you know, whichever sector you work in, make sure you enjoy what you're doing because you might find that, you know, it, it's not always possible depending on the opportunities, even though you've progressed up in, in the chain, you know. Yeah. It's important to get the breadth, you know, of, of, of experience. So I think I did take that on board. And that's why I said whenever I've sort of chosen a kind of area, um, you know, to, to work in, I've always thought, is this something that you could stay in, if you see what I mean? I mean, obviously you want to explore it. Yes. There could be other knock-on opportunities. But I think um, um, I, I always remember that particular piece of advice. But, no, I think it's worth saying to you, but it's just to be, yes, you know, to be fulfilled, but I'm still exploring. That's how I would put it. Yeah, you're still the explorer that you wanted to be when you were young, hey? Indeed. So, um, so if you weren't CEO for Alps at the moment and money was absolutely no object, like you won the lottery, whatever, what would you be? Well, at the moment, I am actually involved with a number of community projects. And I have to say, if money was no object, I'd probably divert more time um, to those. So I, I'm heavily involved with our uh, local church and there's a homeless um, charity that I'm involved with. But I like, I do like social projects, really. And I think yeah. it's sort of where well, you can see it sort of making a difference. Um, so, um, yeah, I think that's what I would do. I would sort of, yes, when retirement comes many, yes, many moons from now, I suppose that's what I would, yes. I still think you want to be, you still want that mental stimulation. You still want that, oh, that challenge. And, and like you say, when you're talking about fulfillment, I mean, that's hugely fulfilling because you know that just a little, just a little bit of um, volunteer work has, has actually a huge amount of impact and someone can take a lot of benefit from that. So that's very mm. important. I love doing volunteering myself. And sometimes I find that I will end up committing myself to too much. And then my actual work work is like, oh, no, I need to get my work work done as well. You know, got to, got to earn the money. Yeah. I think that's where I like to have the, the clear difference between, um, yes, your professional activities. And therefore, I have to say the volunteer work I'm doing is very separate, if you see what I mean. Because I think, um, I mean, obviously, yes. you can get involved with panels and working groups, and it's great. You're leading Silipian Wales, and there's all those kind of professional things you can do, which is, yeah. which is, which is really good. Um, but no, I, I know what you mean. You don't want to feel... Because it it's can be too much like work, work, if you see what I mean. Yeah, and also, you, really just, it, it's, so, it's so easy to say yes to things as well, because you, mm -hmm. you know, oh, I, I can help you. <laughs> but then we only have so many hours in the day, right? We do, indeed. So, But we have the whole of our lives to be able to do lots of different things. Um, so, so what are you reading at the moment? Now, uh, I will say to everyone that I, we do have a normal question here, which is, it talks about what the three most inspiring professional books that you've ever read. But Wayne and I were chatting about this. And actually, we were chatting about it's not just about books anymore. The content that um, you can digest 
in various different ways isn't just so much about books it's you know um video channels and blogs and journals and everything really so there's lots of amazing sources so actually what are you reading at the moment right <clears throat> well what i'm reading at the moment if you really want to know is i've got it here harry it's potter, harry potter. <laughs> and it's a disc one of his Discworld novels night watch so that's what i'm reading at the moment i mean i mean for those of you who don't know i mean terry pratchett wrote this whole series it's actually i think number 27 in yeah. a series oh i have gosh, read it really it's number 27, I mean, there's more still to go. And I have actually read all, all of them. I mean, I think, wow. and I, I love everyone. Well, all apart from Eric, I wouldn't recommend anybody reading Eric. Obviously he had a bad day. You know, it, it's, all his other books are amazing. And I just get Authors a lot. are allowed a bad day every They are allowed a bad day. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, no, because I must admit, it, I did the worst thing you can possibly do to a book. I actually forgot I was reading it because I have a little reading bar <laughs> next to the bed. And I put it down on my wife's desk, just in her letter rack. It's only thin book. And, and I, I generally forgot I was reading. I just picked up the next book and I was just merrily reading away. And then my, my wife pointed out, what's this, you know, on her on her this? And I was more excited to find my bookmark I was than the book, to be honest. But I did complete it. But um, but no, I, I absolutely love the Discworld novel series. So um, I can highly recommend them. But that's what I'm reading at the moment. But professionally, when we, we talked about it, because is yet again, I mean, I am started now a, um, a new, well, a, a university course. So I will actually probably do some more reading of professional books, but realistically... Really, I think, I think you're going to have to if you're doing your I'm MBA. Going, I'm going to have to, because as we said, you know, probably the last time I was reading professional books was back in the 90s, because you're quite right, you read journals, you're reading blogs, you know, watching videos. I mean, it's it's the whole way in which we're learning is is very different now. And there's so much information out there that you want to do. But if I was to give one, I mean, the one um, YouTube video I would highly recommend everybody to read is only six and a half minutes. And it's an open letter to educators. And it was, um, it's done by Dan Brown in 2010. Oh, but not, we'll but add not, the link, don't worry. But not the Dan Brown. This is another Dan yeah, Brown. Yeah, I was thinking, but, oh. <laughs> but he's um, basically he's challenging educators because saying the fact that because we have now all of this information out there on the internet and the way in which we're learning, the way in which we're um, you know assimilating information, you know really education hasn't changed. Yeah. And if you watch it, I mean, bear in mind this is eleven years on since he did the video. It's it's staggering to see we still haven't really evolved. So I highly recommend mm. that one. Um, the the thing they bring us up to this year. Um, and in January 2021, I would highly recommend people to go and read um, Dr. Nancy Roberts' um, blog that she put on the app's um, site, What Does Good Look Like When It Comes to Diversity and Inclusion? And that is really, that's a, that's a you know, that's a, that's a really good blog. But as I said, podcasts, I mean, it is the way in which, you know, um, we're learning. I, I mean, I, I do read, you know, probably about 40 books a year. Um, and I am reading you know, the, the journals, the journal, I mean, I am absorbing information, but it's not so much, I don't think so much in professional books anymore, unless you've got a particular need, like you're studying a course or you're taking something, then you would, you know, read those particular books. But I think it's just the way in which things have changed. Wouldn't you say, wouldn't you say that's the way in which it's sort yeah, of... I, well, I think it also depends on, on what you're wanting to do. And, you know, you're an adventurer and I think that you, you know, you're reading these books because you enjoy reading. Now, I don't read because I don't get time to read but what I do do is I listen to audiobooks or I listen to podcasts now if I listen to podcasts I'm generally going to be listening to something like 
French and Saunders titting about because it makes <laughs> me laugh. And um, I listen to professional books when I go running sometimes, or I listen to um, just books that will let that will just completely take my mind away from the fact that I'm running and my mind's going walk, 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 walk. So I, that's the only time I do it. And also because I get to um, do two things at once and I like to be multitasking because then I feel like it's a worthwhile use of my time. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I listened to a book the other day that um, my business mentor had recommended. And it was, I think it was called um, Who Moved My Cheese? And it's right. a very short book, um, but it's actually, it's a story about um, some mice and that they go in these tunnels and they find this cheese and then they stay there with this cheese because they found their cheese and they get quite complacent. And then there are these other mice who find cheese, but then go off and find other cheese. So they're always looking. And, um, and the story goes on through and it's, it's um, a very interesting way of thinking. And it makes you think about, you know, what if you do stay in the same position doing the same thing and you don't ever change and you don't ever move and you don't ever progress and you don't learn and what happens to you so um yeah that was that was a really good one so I just think Wayne it depends on what you actually want to achieve and I think as like for you and I as as we get older um some things become more valuable and time certainly becomes more valuable and you want to spend that precious time doing things that you really enjoy yeah I mean I still think there is something I mean I, I do love I mean I, I do like reading and I have to say I probably mm. I said I read, I said about 40 books here which is probably less than I used to read to be fair wow. um, but I think there is something about just having that time and just just getting lost in a book but I, I know yeah. what you mean you have to sort of it's what I, I suppose you um, derive pleasure of but but yet again before we had it's always keep saying before we had lockdown before we had um, uh, yes COVID yet again I was at the I, I was at actually a seminar about the future of the book if you see what I mean and um, yeah. and at one of those there was a lady and she asked a question and I and I remember and I thought at the time I always love it when somebody says something that never enters your head do you know what I mean like we never yeah. actually cross your thoughts and she said she must have been in her 20s and she said you know she said all the books I've read I've never um come across a character or a person that reflected um that that you know that represented me or reflects that I could identify yeah. and uh, it took me I don't know I, I was on the train home I was just thinking about about this and I thought well I've probably read I don't know about 1500 books and I think I've never come across a character or a person that I don't you know I could say I completely identify but yeah. I thought myself, well but that's fine and I think it depends on how you see things isn't it because I suppose I don't see books as mirrors reflecting back at me I always see books as like transporting me into somebody else's world or their exactly. experience but I think it depends on you know um and I think you have to want that desire to be transported I suppose that's how I would yeah. um, put it. But I did... pieces, isn't there, that you can take from what you're reading and it will resonate. But we're so unique as individuals and we have such unique experiences. Like we may have the same conversation with the same person, but we'll have a different interaction probably yeah, different things. So you can never replicate the same things mm -hmm. that someone does. It's like when you go into an interview and they say, you know, why should we hire you or tell me something unique about you? And you're like, well, <laughs> I am unique. I mean, what can I tell you? What can I bring to the table? Probably, you know, definitely not what anyone else can bring to the table because I'm unique. So, yeah, it's a really um, it's a really interesting perspective. So um, 
so right, I've got a couple more questions before we finish the podcast. Okay. So what if you could travel back in time? Because I like to throw these random questions in. <laughs> if you could travel back in time. What would you tell your early career self? And I'd be interested to know which part of your career you're going to be talking to. Um, I think if I was right at the beginning, I think yeah. at the beginning, I would say right for going for the first job, it's going to be all right. I think I would offer reassurance because I think nice. you are anxious at the start. And I think some, and, and I think as you go through, like when you like you're changing roles as I did, or you're changing different employers, I think once you've done those changes, you realize that it's this all right. I suppose going back to your book in the cheese, although I haven't I haven't read it, you know, if you get just yeah. used to one level of environment, you probably then think, I don't know, do you get Stockholm syndrome or something? You feel you can never yeah. leave the employer because yeah. what's the life going to be um outside? But I think at the beginning, you know, you're obviously thinking, well, is this the right, is this the right thing? And I yeah. do always think very long and hard before applying for any of the posts. But I think I would also offer that reassurance, yes, it will be fine. And, you know, if if it doesn't work out, well, go and get another job. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. I think I would sort of, um, but, I, but I, I think I would offer that kind of reassurance to my early self to, yeah, it, it will be fine and enjoy the moment. Yeah. That's good because that won't change any of the trajectory of, of your career or what you've done that will just uh, there won't be really a butterfly effect no there wouldn't no there wouldn't on that way because i think you just, just more of a confidence uh, yeah at the time you you know you know i, I don't when people say to you how like any regrets or things and i think to myself well no not really because you're making the best sort of decision at the time isn't it and yeah, i think that exactly. but i have been able to as i said explore different um, even though it's always been with information, you know, you, you have been exploring different boundaries. You are able to, to, you know, move, as it were. Yeah, and I think rather than regrets, it's because, you know, fate is fate and um, you can't change anything in the past. You can't jump in that time machine. So actually it's more about taking the lessons learned from mis- um, things that you've done that actually didn't go the way that you wanted them to and making them better next time so that you don't make those same, you don't do the same thing again. Yeah, that didn't have the outcome that you wanted. I'm trying not to say the word mistakes because I do remember saying mistakes in a conversation to my business mentor, and that he, he told me about not saying the word mistakes. So I'm just <laughs> trying to waffle and get around that word, <laughs> just for context, if you're like. <laughs> um, so, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever been given? The best piece of advice I would give this to. Uh, I'll go back to our um, nationwide Anglia days to Ray Pinnock, who was the assistant general manager of personnel. They didn't have director of HR. That was as high as you could get in um, that particular uh, day. But when you had, when you first came into management, he did a kind of pep talk um, uh, for you. And he gave three pieces of advice. And this is back to the nineties. And he said, when you're in management, there's three things you must always do. First thing is stay within budget. The second thing is never um, look at what pers- a person says they can do. Always look at what they can do. And the yeah. third piece of hype, the third piece of advice was never believe your own hype. And I have to say, I think that's timeless. It was like gold. That's like gold dust. That is. So that's what he said back in. I think it was about ninety three or ninety two or ninety three, somewhere in that time yeah. in the nineties. And I always thought that was timeless. You know, pieces of advice. So that's what I would. Um, that's what I would share. Brilliant. I love that. 
Um, so, um, so to conclude, my last couple of questions to you, Wayne, would be, what do you miss most since the COVID-19 pandemic? I think meeting up with um, family and friends. I think that's been a terrible, you know, it would be really nice to, you know, I, I think we're going to have lots of parties, aren't we? Do you know what I mean? There'll be lots oh, of um, barbecues listen, and stuff in. <laughs> The first conference that we're going to, we're not just going out. And for those that have watched uh, Mickey Flanagan, and if you haven't, you have to look him up on a video channel. And it's uh, it's the the joke that he does. He's a comedian. It's about out out, um, or in his accent, out out. So um, yeah, it's not about just going out. It's about going out out. Yes, so we are going out out. It's going to be we'll very be, messy. Yes, we're definitely going to be gadding about, as it was <laughs> right at the beginning. <laughs> that's what's going to be happening. And I love that you looked at our words that we do for reference. So that's great because there are some crackers in there. Yasmin does a brilliant <laughs> job. I see some every now and again. I'm like, oh, hello. I like that word. My favourite, which people laugh at me for, is when you have in the dregs in the bottom of your cup or, you know, leftover food on a plate. Titty nope. That's what that is. So I've got some titty nope in my cup. I'm very pleased for you, Lou. <laughs> oh dear. So, um, is there anything that you want to ask me before we end this podcast? Well, I think it'd be good for you to share. What's the best piece of advice, um, you know, that you've been given or that, you know, you would give to somebody uh, now in marketing, working in marketing? You have to turn the questions around on me, don't you? <laughs> um, okay, so my best piece of advice would be be bold, be brave, stop doing what is not working. Um, you can always restart doing it if you want to. So it's about having an agile mindset and absolutely look at your return on investment. Always measure, test what you're doing. And that's when it comes into stop doing what doesn't work um, because it's just pointless. And, and I think my last bit that I would summarize with is that when I speak to marketers sometimes and I'll say, were you proud of that work that you did when I'm just, um, we're doing an evaluation or a summary of their output? And they're like, no, not really. And I'm like, you know, I, be proud of the marketing that you do because then, you know, that's going to really show and demonstrate. Mm. Um, so thank you, Wayne, so much. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. I've learned loads. I'm going to go and look up about Henry VIII and his <laughs> And uh, no, it's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to do this today. It's been my pleasure. And, uh, and I will um, speak to you very soon. And so thank you very much.